This episode of Make Your Pitch is brought to you by BET. As a business owner, have you ever asked, uh, how is my business ensuring profitability and sustainability? Uh, or does my business drive its growth and agenda through a defined strategy? Maybe also, is there a performance management system in place? If you hesitated to answer any of these questions, you need to take a look at the Business Enabling Toolbox, BET. To find out more about BET, check the show notes of this episode. This is Make Your Pitch. I'm Christopher Knight. And I am Ellen J. Harris. Together, we chat with entrepreneurs with great ideas, looking for investors to back their vision. We want to be sure investors are there as well as to find the next big hit. So let's get started. Okay, and a welcome, welcome, welcome to everyone for this episode of Make Your Pitch. As all of you know who have been following us, and we appreciate all of you who have uh, hit the uh, subscribe button and hit the like button because it keeps us rolling forward and keeps us in front of the folks who matter. And that is the uh, entrepreneur and the investors that are out there and following what we do. Uh, as you follow some of the other uh, episodes, you've noticed that we are varied in the area of the types of businesses we bring to you. And I really am excited today to bring you the type of business that is literally the next big thing in profit-centered um, merchandising, if you will. It's not really merchandising, but in growing it, it's a multi-billionaire business that's really about to really take charge in the United States. It's, it's just inevitable. And you might as well just sit back and get ready, but you got to find the right people to get involved with. Uh, I'm Christopher Knight. And I am Ellen J. Harris. And Ellen is going to introduce our guest for today. Well, thank you, Christopher. We have the pleasure of interviewing Nate Nihus, who is founder of Fast Flower Farms in Bay City, Michigan. He's described his business as pragmatic, experienced, and passionate cannabis industry founder, catering to those who demand the best in all things cannabis, constantly learning, focused on quality over quantity, cash flow over revenue, brand over all, offering risk adverse investors significant appreciation on their investments. What do you think of that, Christopher? Well, you know, I think uh, that, that says a lot. Now let's see what Nate can tell us uh, even in more depth. Nate, welcome to Make Your Pitch. Thank you so much, Christopher, and thank you, Ellen. Our pleasure. Now, at this point in time, the ball is in your court. Heck of a deal. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and share my screen here uh, for everybody that, that sees this on video. And if you're hearing it on audio, I'm going to walk through point by point everything that, that is on the deck here so that nobody's left out. So as we, as, 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 uh, as Ellen uh, alluded to, we're, our, the name of our business is Fast Flower Farms. Now, 
the reason that we're named Fast Flower Farms is one of the things that you learn very quickly in this industry is that uh, quite a bit of your cash flow, your bottom line, is dictated by your ability to move, cycle through uh, the flowering part of your facility. Uh, we have gone through great lengths, two great lengths, uh, to ensure that we have chosen the perfect, or as near to perfect as you can be, genetics, so that, that allows us to get uh, between five, 5.75 to six turns annually through our facility of the highest grade flower. Uh, that was a very exhaustive search, but that's why the company is named Fast Flower Farms. Now, we are in the Michigan cannabis market. The Michigan cannabis market is expected to be a $3 billion market by 2024. Last year, we beat projections uh, by $150 million. Uh, we, are, we are the second in terms of medical card holders uh, state in the nation, second only to California. And our, the people here spend a lot of money on cannabis. Uh, we have the highest average basket dollar value in the U.S. Uh, at a little over $84 per purchase. Where we're at right now, I think it's important to just kind of set the stage. We have a genetics division that is cash flowing immediately. We did $10,000 in our first month of operation. There, we're, we're, we've well surpassed that this month. Uh, we're state municipally licensed to, uh, for, for, for cannabis cultivation operational this next month. We have $250,000 coming in as income with our first crop, which is gonna be on the shelf in September. We have full ownership of the property and all the assets. We've already deployed a million dollars into the construction of the facility and the land. We have a deeply experienced team in place. And this month, we're gonna close a little over $250,000 in our capital raise. Uh, what you're seeing on the screen now is, a, is, is how we started in October with with flat land and nothing on it. And then how this has progressed uh, day over day, week over week, month over month. Um, we are at the back end of our construction right now and we'll be fully licensed and operational next month. I did say that the, the opportunity is a $3 billion market. That's just in Michigan. Uh, the, re the remainder of the United States uh, is significantly more than that. And there's a variety of different projections, but we're sticking to Michigan for the, for the purposes of this pitch. Uh, on the top right, if you can see this, you'll see a comparison of state by state year over year growth. Uh, Michigan is 342%, 342% year over year growth, whereas uh, the state like Colorado went 25%, Nevada had 0%, Oregon had 7% growth, Arizona had 21%, and California had only 32%. So compared to the other top states, we have 10X the growth here just in Michigan. We are building a brand, not just a company, but a brand. And our brand is Artisan Boutique Authentic. One of the things that we're very keen on is consumer experience innovation. We don't just innovate with our genetics or our facility or, or lean operations. We uh, innovate quite a bit at the consumer level in order to stand out from the rest of the pack. Um, if you could see this packaging, I believe you would find it to be aesthetically pleasing. Uh, but the big thing here is that because we have proprietary genetics uh, and people tend to like 
to, to, to like variety. Um, one of the things that we've done is we've selected these four genetics that we know meet all of our specifications and put them into a flight box. So a consumer can come and try each one of our various genetics, decide which ones they like, and then make a larger purchase of that specific genetic. In addition to that, we also specialize in artisanal flour uh, and then solventless extracts. And there's a very specific method of extracting, which leads to a live solventless extracted product. And this is the highest grade of cannabis product, the highest cost of cannabis product, the highest margin of cannabis product, but it's also a little tricky to do. So you have to have a fair amount of experience in it. Now, the advantages of our business in particular are it, 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 it's experience. It really boils down to uh, experience. You know, they say you don't bet on the, on the horse, you bet on the jockey. And I believe that to be true. Uh, with that in mind, we've assembled a really uh, impressive team here. We have 20 years of experience just in, just in my two right-hand guys. Uh, and that doesn't include my experience. I have a fair amount of experience in cultivation myself. Uh, this is my third startup. Uh, this is the second one that I've owned. Uh, and then we have our exclusive genetics that are bred specifically for uh, flower production, high yielding flower production and short flower cycles, but also for solventless extraction, uh, which is the next thing that we'll talk about here. The strategy is relatively straightforward since we're so far along in this process. Uh, the goal is to focus on margins, scaling the brand very quickly, the consumer experience innovation, which we talked about, and then a very deep dive into solventless extraction in which we have one of the most experienced solventless extractors in the entirety of the world working for us as my director of operations. Solventless is a big deal. And a lot of people say, yeah, it's an extracted cannabis product. What, may, what sets it apart? Well, the big deal here is that we don't degrade any of the cannabinoids or the terpenes, which uh, are the, the kind of active ingredients, if you will, both flavor and otherwise from the cannabis product itself. Uh, that's what a, a solvent-based extraction would do. An example of a solvent-based extraction would be uh, CO2, they use CO2 for it, ethanol often, uh, butane, things like that. And that degrades the cannabinoid and the terpene, and then they try on the back end to reconstitute it in a way that, that is representative of, of, of the actual plant. Uh, we aren't a particularly huge fan of that. One of the reasons is there's residual solvents left in that extraction methodology. And in addition to that, uh, it, it really does degrade the cannabinoids and the terpenes. Uh, now, the reason people do that is because it's significantly easier than uh, solventless extraction. And, but if you know what you're doing in solventless extraction and you have the right genetics, uh, you can build uh, what is effectively the best cannabis product on the back end. And as, as, as was alluded to very early in this, we are focused on the best. One of the things that's important about solventless is that if you really understand the process of doing this and you have the appropriate genetics, is that it, it is a very high margin activity, uh, margins upwards of 90%. Uh, and as flower prices go down, uh, as, as happens in a more mature market, uh, the margins increase, actually, uh, because the input of the product, the cost of the input uh, to, to, to get the end result has gone down. Management leadership, we spoke just a bit about that earlier. Uh, I'm Nate Nihus, the founder and CEO of this. I'm a, I'm a 
uh, U.S. Army combat veteran. I used the GI Bill to get a uh, bachelor in business administration and finance, and then uh, leveraged that into a couple of ongoing, uh, first into to kind of a lightweight venture capital role, which led me into tech, a couple of tech startups, uh, sailing charter business, and then eventually into cannabis. My director of operations is a guy named Mike Angelotti. And if you know anything about cannabis, you probably heard of the company and the, and the event, the Emerald Cup. Uh, Mike Angelotti was the chief geneticist and the solventless extractor and one of the leading cultivators uh, under the Emerald Cup product supply company. He created 10 proprietary strains for the Emerald Cup, and he has seven years of experience specifically in solventless extraction. Zach Heinitz is my director of horticulture. He's got a little over 10 years at this point in cannabis cultivation. He's a master grower, uh, although we don't like using the word master grower as much. He is that. Ian Miller is an important member of our advisory board. He's the CEO of a large uh, cannabis consulting firm and has a couple of funds in which he actually purchases uh, cannabis companies as well. He, uh, he brings an immense amount of operational uh, kind of intelligence into our company here. And then we have Sumit Mehta. He's the founder, of CE, uh, he's the founder and CEO of Mazakali, who's a kind of a boutique uh, investment bank here in the cannabis space. And then our last advisor, certainly not least, is uh, a, a very successful multidisciplinary uh, entrepreneur and lawyer named Jim Hiller. He used to run a large chain of grocery stores here in Michigan. Our pro forma financials, uh, we're well into 2021 at this point. So our first year of production is only going to be a limited amount and we won't do much in, the ter in terms of solvent and sales because you have to grow the plant and then extract it and then get it to the shelves. So we'll do 1.4 in 2021, 2022 being our real breakout year, moving up to about 9 million in revenue. Uh, we're EBITDA positive in year one, which is a big deal and we'll be cash flowing uh, pretty significantly due to our emphasis on margin. We have raised, uh, well, we've deployed a million dollars worth of capital at this point. Um, we have raised in this particular round, a total of about $350,000 and all of that to be closed by the end of the month. Uh, our total raise is 1.2 million. The terms are, it's a convertible debt note. The terms are 8% interest in a four year term a valuation cap of $10 million and a discount rate of 35%. In addition to that, there is a preferential payback in that all investor funds, principal plus interest at the time of conversion are returned before any uh, uh, internal shareholders or stakeholders can receive a cash dividend. What that means is uh, between year two and year three, we're going to begin returning the funds invested in this round and only this round back to investors. And then you will still maintain your equity position in the company. Uh, it's a pretty sweet deal. One of the other things we've done to further uh, kind of show our appreciation for the risk that is often associated with early stage companies is we've ensured that our valuation cap and our discount work together, meaning that we've capped what investors will pay for this company effectively at $6.5 million. Um, 
there is a very strong argument to be made that we're worth significantly more than that already at this moment. And that's really the end of my kind of high level uh, overview of our company. And I'm really looking forward to these questions now. Okay. And if you, if you would stop sharing your screen for us there, uh, Nate, so we can get in here and I'll pop us into a little group session so we can see and chat with each other. And I guess uh, the first question I have, and you're going to have to educate me, possibly, as well as some of the others listening, not maybe the investors, sure. but some others that may, may be in the realm of, hey, you know, this is all great. I'd like to get involved. So um, what is the solvently, <laughs> solventless extraction? Why do you do it? And what do you use it for? Sure. Um Solventless extraction is the Kobe beef organic free range Angus steak of uh, cannabis products. Um, it typically uh, finds a market with people who are primarily uh, who are primarily primarily driven by high quality, but also uh, concerned about the things that they put into their body. Uh, this this lands very very well uh, after after the vape crisis that we had here in the cannabis industry in which people were dying because of, um, I think it was vitamin E acetate, if I remember correctly, was being put into these black market vapes. Um, we don't denature the plant. We don't add anything back in or take anything out. It, what you get in our extract is a pure version of the active ingredient of the plant, which we only used ice water to extract. Now, the way we do it, which is kind of a step above even your traditional solventless extraction is, is with what we call live extracted product. And what that means is that we don't cut down the plant, dry, cure, and trim it. Instead, we come through and, and we chop off the, the, the flower part of the plant and immediately freeze it. Uh, and what that does is it kind of makes the, the trichomes, the active ingredient of the plant, brittle uh, by freezing it. And then we put it into what is effectively a, a washing machine with, with ice water and we agitate that to break off those, those trichome heads on the outside of the flower. And then we gather those and put those into various other products. Um, they can go into anything. They can go into vape cartridges, they could go into dabs, they can go into edibles. Uh, and that is our that is one of the things that we have a lot of experience in. It's a very high margin activity if done correctly. And it's, it's arguably the most in-demand cannabis product on the market right now. So that's very helpful because you're, you're talking about the pure of the pure in, in the process. So very, very that's important for those who want the best. Let's pause for a moment so we can hear from our sponsor for this episode. I have just set up our customer relation management system using CRM Engine, not just for its many options, but because its price is well below that of the big boys. The CRM Engine team set up all that we needed to keep track of our contacts, including those who are scheduled to pitch, our investors, and strategic partners. We now know when we met, what was said, when to follow up, and includes an auto email system to stay in touch timely. 
It keeps us focused on what makes Make Your Pitch what it is, the people. So to learn how to keep your business in touch with your clients using CRM Engine, go to the show notes of this episode. Now, I noticed that uh, you were showing your year to year and so forth. And I noticed over the first six years uh, on the uh, slide you were showing, over six years, it started to level off, you know, a good increase, and then it starts to level off. Now, is that because you're limited to the acreage you're farming on, or is it just because that's what you want to do? Or, or how can you scale past the point of that? I think it was a six or seven year period that you showed and that during that period, but I saw a very much a leveling off period at the end of the last two or three years. So talk, address that for me. Absolutely. That's a really good question. Uh, so first of all, it's important to me, everybody, every entrepreneur, every pitch I've ever seen in my life shows hockey stick growth all the way up. Uh, yeah. That's what they're trying to show you. Um, we do have quite a big jump between year one and year two due right. to the, the solventless products and, and being able to put those on the shelves and, and even white labeling some solventless extraction for, for other, uh, other growers in the area. Mm -hmm. uh, we are, what well, it was very important to me to only show what we were prepared to do with the assets and the land that we have right now. Uh, we can scale. There's three things that scale very well in the cannabis space, and it's not cultivation facilities. Uh, the things that scale very well uh, and, and specifically can move from state to state with, 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 with ease are genetics, SOPs, and, uh, and then extraction of that and brand, brand, excuse me. And so if I, it would, it, depending upon exactly where these various markets are at as we're scaling, it's very simple for, for us to move the brand, the genetics, and the SOPs from state to state without having to build out a large cultivation facility, which is very capital intensive. Mm -hmm. So we can scale significantly more than that, uh, but also at the same time, uh, I don't need to show that much growth, even though that's certainly what we're shooting for. I don't need to show that much growth in order to show how profitable this investment will be. Okay. Does that mean then do you have a proprietary uh, process, uh, uh, intellectual property that you can protect or patent or what's, it, what's going I, on? There? I wish it was that easy. Um, one of the problems that you have with cannabis being scheduled uh, is that it's very difficult to schedule some aspects of the plant. Now you can patent um, processes and you can patent things like SOPs, but they have to be significantly different. You have to prove their use for a little while before the patent office will even take a look at it. The real IP is just in the genetics and then in a strong founding team. Now, once you really, once you hone all of that in, you know, year two, year three of operations, you will find areas where you can patent and you can go into what they call trade secrets and things like that. And then as soon as it's descheduled, uh, your brands and your trademarks and your trade secrets and all of that, uh, you can go, you can go to the pat patent office with it. So yes and no, uh, it depends on how you do it and then how descheduling 
uh, takes place in the near future. Do you think that's important uh, in order to scale from state to state? The things that are, yeah, I do. I absolutely do. I think it's very important, actually. I mean, it's one of the most important things, if not the most important thing. Uh, the first thing, well, cash flow is the most important. Uh, yeah. So you need to make sure that, that you're making money uh, and not just making money, but you are profitable. Uh, but then you have to solidify your the exact way you do that. And the best, and, and the best to your point, the best thing you can do is protect that intellectual property. Right. Okay. Ellen, please go right ahead. You're on mute. <laughs> Un unmute. There you go. Okay. Thank you, Christopher. Uh, Nate, you said a couple of things that just struck a bell with me. And you talked about scaling. And it seems that there's three areas in which you scale. Um, one is your SOP, your standard operation operating procedure. Is that right? Correct. Okay. And then it's genetics. Correct. And what is the third one? And the third is the brand. The um, brand. That's the way you protect margins in something that's heading towards being a commodity. Uh, is that you uh, is, is, is that you create a brand. Um, the commodity of vanilla, for example, has no real value. It's or it has a very limited value. But the brand vanilla extract that you use has an immense amount of value. Uh, and it's the same thing. Bacardi doesn't grow their own sugar cane for the rum, uh, but they do charge quite a premium for for, uh, you know, for, from the raw product to the actual. So that's part of it. Your SOPs, yes, they are standard operating procedures. Uh, you have to, if you don't have those in place and they are not exact, it's very difficult to scale because what I have in my head won't scale. Uh, th that has to be down on paper and it has to be an exact science and, and also has to be a living document. Uh, and then the third one, I mean, the, one of the things that really makes a difference, specifically in the cannabis space, is the genetics. It's all about genetics. The genetics are the engine to the cultivation car. Uh, they determine your flowering times and your yields and your terpene profiles and whether you can even move the product. Uh, if you grow a bunch of mid-grade cannabis, uh, it's going to be very difficult to sell it. Uh, so you have to make sure that your genetics are capable of providing that. Now, there's THC percentages and variability, but those are the three things that that really set companies apart and allow you to scale. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. Now, um, you talked about the patent and the patent process, and you said that it um, it's going to take some time for you to reach that stage. My question is, what is the duration? for you to reach that uh, patent eligibility? We would be eligible to patent a process specifically around um, our solventless extraction. Uh, and it would be a process patent. Uh, we would be able to patent something within the next year or so. Um, but it would depend upon what other process patents there are in the space and our ability to prove a differentiator uh, between what exists in the space at the time and what we're doing at the time. 
um, we are not the first people in the world to to extract solventlessly. You know, in fact, as I mentioned, our director of operations has been doing this for over seven years. So there's there's a way to play that game, uh, but you have to you have to really understand the landscape before you go spend a bunch of money to try to process a pat or to try to patent a process. What level of research are you doing in that area? Because it sounds like to me that you have, um, you can see an opportunity in defining the process where it becomes your process. Is that right? That is, that's 100% correct. Um, okay. It's, it, and, and I think it's a very important part of, of what we do. Uh, how you do it is a very important part of what you do and being able to protect that matters. Um, patent trolling is very common uh, and to go in and try to loosely, as loosely as possible, define a process and then claim it's yours is very common. It's certainly been, um, it's certainly happened a great many times here in any industry that I'm aware of. Uh, I don't know of an industry in which that doesn't happen. Uh, and so getting into the nitty gritty there is really important. I am not as concerned with that at the moment. The most important thing for me at the moment is to uh, move my genetics into our facility and begin generating revenue. Um, after revenue is when I start uh, really delving into that. And you have to have the right lawyer. Uh, that's yes. the other aspect of this is that a cannabis IP lawyer is the is is where you really where you really start to nail that down, and I've got I know who they are, uh, and I made contact with them, so so we're in that space, but we're not going to deploy a whole lot of capital to that at the moment. Okay, and the name of your firm is Fast Flower Farms. That's correct. That's the DBA. It's actually it's DCH Licensing. Uh, we're a C corp. And, uh, and, and we're licensed here, here in Michigan via the city and the state. The DBA is Fast Flower Farms. And again, that is a reference to uh, our specific input or our specific specialty, if you will, and the, and the sheer volume of work that we've done to find genetics that, that we can roll through the facility very quickly while still maintaining high yields and still maintaining a high level of quality. Um, and it requires uh, oh, four to five years of R&D to really figure that out. Thankfully, you know, I, I, I effectively purchased a person that had done all the, the R&D on that. Now, um, my last question. <laughs> you just identified your company name, DCH Licensing. Correct. Have you thought perhaps about a trademark around that name? Um, yeah, uh, I think, I think the trademark is going to probably happen more around the brands that we spin out of Fast Flower Farms. Um, Fast Flower Farms is the parent company, if you will, of a genetics division, um, which is Prima, uh, Prima clones. Uh, we, so we should, we should and will trademark that. Uh, we also have the Artisan Boutique Authentic Canvas brand, um, and we should trademark that. And there's certainly room for, for what I would call a value brand. Uh, and that's something that we can also um, push out of, of, of our particular 
uh, umbrella company of fast flower farms, if you will. Okay, and how committed are you as the founder owner to that process of the trademark? Uh, very committed. Uh, um, it's, it's important to maintain, okay, so when, when we were, when I was in tech startups, one of the things that we were very, we placed a lot of emphasis on is your minimum viable product. You get your minimum viable product to market as fast as you possibly can. You iterate and you learn very quickly based upon what the market tells you. And then you solidify what your product is. And at that point, we will be very committed to protecting all of the IP. But protecting IP at this point is a little bit premature. Uh, yes. Our, 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 our goal is to get to market as fast as humanly possible, let the market give us the feedback uh, in terms of what they want and where we should be focused, uh, and then to begin really solidifying uh, that IP behind them. Okay. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. You're on mute. <laughs> You're muted. Here to recap as we wind up this episode. Recap the numbers you're after and what you're asked right now as we Absolutely. wrap up this episode. Absolutely. Our ask is $1.2 million in convertible debt. The, the, uh, the interest rate for that convertible debt is 8%. The term on it's four years. The value cap on that's 10 million and the discount's 35%. Now, in case you're not instit an institutional finance investor and you are listening to this, um, we are using convertible debt as a means to protect early stage investors. At our next priced round, the convertible debt converts to equity. During that period between your investment and the next priced round, your money has been gaining eight has been gaining eight percent. And then on the next priced round, let's say our next priced round is at a valuation of ten million dollars. Uh, you will get a thirty five percent discount on whatever the next, the next uh, investors pay from a valuation standpoint of our company. If our next price round is at 20 million, uh, the valuation cap of 10 million kicks into place and the discount of 35% kicks into place. So you're still only paying that 6.5 million valuation for our company while the next round of investors is paying significantly more. Okay, and it sounds like you're really not, uh, you haven't positioned it for a fractional investment, but more for, uh, uh, institutional investors, would you say, really? I would, I would actually say that all of our investment to date has been fractional investment. Okay. Um, and, and we're very open to that. One of the things that we certainly are looking for, though, is, is what we would, you know, what we, we would term as, and I don't necessarily like this term, but it is an industry standard, but smart money. Um, people who can come in and take a relatively large chunk leading into next rounds, uh, come in with connections and partnerships and brands, uh, somebody that's a group or a person that can invest, not just money. All right. All right. Okay. And uh, finally, and I asked you this before we got on, and I think you've already answered it quite well, as a matter of fact. And the question was very simple. What sets you apart? And I think you've really, you've answered that. It's your, it's your process and your procedures and the uh, end product that you produce. So yeah, it, there's a there's a strong emphasis on high margin activities uh, that that we do here, uh, and I think that 
from an investor standpoint, that's probably the one that hits home the most. Yeah. Okay. I guess this, this just came up for me. You mentioned your processes and procedures. Do you have policies in place that govern you and the organization? Well, more of the organization oh, and we, something to adhere to. Oh, we certainly do. Uh, we, we, we have our SOPs right now. Um, we're constantly refining them. Uh, if, if your SOP is not a living document, that means either you've already figured everything out, which is uh, not, I don't think wisdom comes from that, uh, or it means you're not using them. And so ours, while we do certainly have them, uh, they are constantly being refined. Good. Very good. Okay. Well, Nate, this has been, this has been fantastic. I, uh, I will say just personally, I'm, I'm very impressed with what you've put together because you have uh, really detailed your process and you, uh, you're, you're coming up with something that really is unique. Not, let's, let's say it, somebody else can do it, but it seems like you've got a wonderful handle on exactly how to do it right. And we're so happy to have had you here today. Now, is there anything you'd like to say to any investors or anybody watching before we close out? Uh, you can get a hold of me, uh, and, and my email address is Nate, N-A-T-E, at fast, F-A-S-T, flower, F-L-W-F-L-O-W-E-R, farms, F-A-R-M-S, dot com. You can see our website there as well. Uh, and then I would just like to thank both Christopher and Ellen for their time. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's been, it's been a pleasure having you on and by the way, any uh, contact information you would like to share with us, send it over to us so I can put it in the show notes of this particular episode, and we will do it in that fashion. So as we close out today, we always like to say, make your pitch. I'll see everyone next Thursday on the next episode of Make Your Pitch. If you enjoyed today's episode of Make Your Pitch, Go smash the subscription button, and if you want, leave us a five-star review. If you think you have what it takes to be on one of our episodes, contact us by going to the show notes to learn how. But most of all, be with us again next week for another episode of Make Your Pitch.